A great mission demands great habits. A great goal, accomplishing a great goal demands great habits. You have got to have the right habits in your life to fulfill a mission like that. And so I want to go uh, tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll be reading from the message translation, so you might just want to follow along on the, uh, the big Bible in the sky behind me. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26, it says this in the message translation. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else about it, and then missing out myself. Tonight, we're talking about our first house habit, and that is we live on. We live on. Let's pray one more time before we get into the word. Father, I ask in the next few moments that you would do what only you can do. God, open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our mind to understand, our heart to receive everything that you want to communicate to us today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people with expectation. Said, Amen. Amen. When we talk about this house habit of we live on, what, what that means is that that we live on through adversity. We live on through trials and trouble. We live on through difficulties and setbacks. We live on. It means that we don't quit. It means that we don't give up. It means that we never, ever back down. It means that we live through our disappointments because each and every day we make a choice, and the choice always is to live on. No matter what we're facing, no matter what we are going through, we have a habit that says we will live on. And if I'm still breathing, then I'm still living. And if I'm still living, then I am still running. Because the Bible says that God created me to run a race. And if I am breathing and I am living, then I am not going to stop running that race. I will get up no matter how many times I fall. I will brush myself off. I will get back in the race because I am determined to reach the finish line. And that is why we have this habit in this house that says we live on. Because I, I don't want to just have an existence until eternal life. I want to have an abundance until I get to eternal life. And the only way that we can live an abundant life is to determine that I will live on. I will live on. That's how you get to live the abundant life. Jesus said, I, I, ha I have come that you might have life, that you might have it to the full, that you would have it in abundance until it overflows in your life. That is why Jesus came. But you can't experience that life if every time you fall down, you stay down for five months. After every time you get disappointed, you wallow around in your disappointment for a year before you get back up. Every time you get discouraged, every time, every time it doesn't go your way and you just lay down and you quit, you can't live the abundant life if you aren't willing to live on in life. So if we're going to live on, we say, wow, okay, I see that. that that's it. I, I see the value in that. I, I see, yeah, I can't just stay, stay, I can't stay down. I can't just lay down. I can't quit. Okay, I see, I, I, I've got to live on. But then there, there, are some, there are some critical things that we have to live on if we're going to live a life that lives on. 
We've got to live on some things. We, we've got to put our life on some foundations. And I want to give you four of those things that we have to live on if we're going to live a life that lives on. And here's the first thing that we have to live on. We have to live on Christ. We have to live on Christ. We just sang the song, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong. In the Savior's love. That, that's not a song that somebody just made up. Okay, that, 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 that comes out of the Bible. Uh, surprisingly, maybe to some of you. No, it's actually in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2. It says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. And understand that that's who we are. We are Gentiles. Everybody that is not Jewish is a Gentile. And so that would include us. So now you Gentiles, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. You see, Christ is the cornerstone of the church, but Christ must also be the cornerstone of your life. He is the cornerstone. You say, oh, I don't really understand what the cornerstone is. Well, well let, me, let me just explain it to you. The cornerstone concept is derived from the first stone that used to be set in the construction of the foundation. And, and it's so important because all of the other stones will be set in reference to this stone. And so this one stone will determine the position of the entire structure. It is the cornerstone. It is the first stone that was put down back when every floor was just stones. That's all they had. They put the first stone down and the cut of this stone when it was established, it would determine the parameters. It would determine the position. It would set the table for every other stone that was to be established. And that's what the writer of Ephesians says. Christ is the cornerstone, and we are all placed in position around him. You see, Jesus isn't a stone. He is the stone. He is the cornerstone, and it's that cornerstone that shapes the position of our entire lives. Jesus doesn't just impact your spiritual life. He sets, the, he sets your attitude. He sets your perspective. He sets your opinions. That's what Jesus does. He, doesn't just, he isn't just valid in one part of your life. He doesn't just come in and say, okay, I want to be in your spiritual life. No, he comes in and he says, okay, I want to be in your thought life. I, I, I want to be in your emotional life. I want to be in every single part of your life. I want to be, be seen in your attitude. I want to be seen in your response. I want to be seen in your work ethic. I want to be seen. I want you to set your life with me as the cornerstone and so that everything that you do, I will have to be involved in it. He sets the parameters. He, he, he sets the position. He, Jesus sets the position for our marriages, for our language for our business, for our parenting, for our future. Jesus sets the parameters and the position for everything that we do. Christianity doesn't work when you just try to add Jesus into your already established foundation. Christianity only works when you allow God to wreck your foundation and to start building a brand new foundation with him as the cornerstone.
stone. You can't just roll into Jesus and be like, oh, wow, that's something I'd like to add to my life. Maybe if I get a little bit of Jesus, I can improve in these areas. It doesn't work like that because your foundation is faulty. Your foundation is not set to handle what Jesus wants to do in your life. And so when Jesus comes in, he says, I want to destroy your foundation. I want to wreck your foundation. I want to pull up your foundation. And you put me as the cornerstone of your foundation. Now we can build the future that I want you to have. But the only way you get that is putting Christ as the cornerstone. And when you set Christ as the cornerstone, guess what you do? When you set him as the cornerstone, you get into alignment with his power. You get into alignment with his peace. You get into alignment with his joy, his provision, and his plan. And when you get into alignment with those things, guess what you get? The abundant life. And the way that you live the abundant life is getting in alignment with him and everything that he has for you. And now his peace starts overflowing in your life. His purpose starts overflowing in your life. His power starts overflowing in your life. He begins to overflow in your life. Why? Because he is the cornerstone and he's determining the position and the structure of your life. So we have, we have to live on Christ. First and foremost, he is the cornerstone. We have to live on Christ. Here's the second thing that we have to live on. We have to live on conviction. If we're going to live a life that lives on, we have to live on conviction. Conviction is defined as a fixed or firm belief. A fixed or firm belief or, or the state of being convinced, the state of being convinced. Your convictions come out of what you are convinced of. Your convictions come out of what you are convinced of. I'm going to say it again. Your convictions, the convictions that you live by, come out of what you are convinced of. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 in the NIV it says this, for we live by faith and not by sight. For we live by faith and not by sight. The New Living Translation says it this way, for we live by believing and not by seeing. We live by believing and not by seeing. You see, you can't live by what you believe and by what you see because they won't always line up. And sooner or later, you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose between what you see and what you believe. You're going to have to choose between faith and between sight. Sooner or later, it's not going to add up and you are going to have to make the decision, which way are you going to go? Because faith flows from a fixed and firm belief in your life because you have already been convinced. And when I have already been convinced of something, that's what opens the door for faith to begin to flow because there is no second guessing. There is no doubting. There is no wondering. I am fully and firmly convinced. And when I am convinced, then faith begins to flow in my life to whatever I'm looking at. Whenever you're dealing with forgiveness, when you're dealing with forgiveness, are you fully convinced that God has forgiven you? Are you fully convinced? Are you fully convinced of the grace of God? 
Are you fully convinced that the, the blood that Jesus shed on the cross was the forgiveness of all of your sins, past, present, and future? Are you fully convinced of that? Or the next time that you really mess up big, are you going to start feeling like you've got to do so many good things after that so you can prove to God that you're really serious about it and hopefully get in his good graces again? No, are you fully convinced that the blood that Jesus shed was for the forgiveness of my sin? Are, are, are you convinced about that? And if you are fully convinced about that, then you understand that his grace will always be sufficient for you. And are, are you convinced about forgiving other people? Are you convinced about the importance? Are you convinced about the word of God? That when Jesus said, Jesus said, if you don't forgive other people, I'm not going to forgive you. Are, are, are you convinced of that? Because guess what? If you are really convinced of that, guess what you're going to do? You're going to forgive everybody that wrongs you. Because you're going to want forgiveness. But if you're not convinced of that, then you'll hold on to unforgiveness. If you're not convinced of that, then you'll hold on to grudges. If you're not convinced that Jesus was telling the truth, that said, if you don't forgive other people, then you're, you are not going to experience my forgiveness. Then, then you'll be holding on to things that you shouldn't hold on to. And why? Why are we doing that? Because we're not fully convinced. But whenever you get fully convinced of what Jesus said, let me tell you, you will forgive everybody. No matter how many times they stomp on your toe, you will forgive them every time. Why? Because I want to be forgiven. But that's where your convictions come out of. Am I a person that believes in his forgiveness, and, and am I a person that forgives? I'm convinced. I'm convinced. Are, 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 we, are we convinced? Are we convinced that God is our protection, that God is our provision? Or are we convinced of that? You may not feel like it all the time. But I'm convinced of his word. I'm convinced that he is my provider. I'm convinced that he is my defender. I am convinced that Psalm 23 wasn't just a good little poem that David wrote, and it sounds good, and people write it on, on, on their walls. I'm convinced that when he says, when you walk through the darkest valley of your life, you don't have to be afraid because I will be right there beside you. I am convinced that when Jesus, I mean, when David wrote this in Psalm 23, and he says, surely your goodness, God, and your unfailing love will pursue me all all the days of my life and I will live in the presence and the house of the Lord forever. I am convinced that what he was writing, it was not hypothetical and it was not theoretical, that what he was writing was the truth. And whenever I am convinced of that, it doesn't matter what valley I'm walking through in life. It doesn't matter how dark it might be. It doesn't matter how difficult life might be. I am convinced that he is with me. Why? Because of my conviction. I've been convinced been convinced. I'm, I'm convinced that, that, that personal holiness and purity, I'm convinced that it matters. I'm convinced that, 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 that little sin is, is, is a big issue because it's, it's trying to pull me away from God. James chapter 1 verse 4, it says, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and, and drag us away. They entice you and drag you away. Drag you away from what? drag you away from the plan and the purpose of God. Drag you away from the peace of God. Drag you away from the joy of the Lord. Drag you away from, from fellowship with God. They're trying to drag you away. And so anything in my life that's trying to drag me away from the presence of God and the purpose of God and the peace of God and the provision of God, I don't want to be away from that. So little sin is a big, 
big deal. And it says, in these desires, they give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And death is, is complete separation from God. I don't want to be separated from God. So I am convinced in my conviction that little sin is a big deal. I'm convinced because it's trying to drag me away. It's trying to pull me away. And if it and I, I will tell you tonight that if you're not, if you aren't actively killing sin, then your sin is actively killing you. If you aren't actively killing sin every day and pushing it out of your life and putting death to sin actively in your life every day, then that sin is killing you. And you don't always feel like killing it. You know what I mean? Sometimes you like living in a little unforgiveness. Feels good to look at somebody and say, I hope your tire goes flat. <laughs> you know that you, you you can feel good about that. Some sometimes whenever you're walking through the valley and you feel like, God ain't nowhere around here. God, and I'm I'm not even gonna say God's here because God ain't here. I'm just all alone. I'm all by myself. It feels good to your flesh. To feel like I've been abandoned, I've been forgotten. I'm just going to wallow around here in self-pity because surely God's not with me. God's not for me anymore. And you just feel sorry for yourself and you can just wallow around in that. And for a little while, that feels good. It, it feels good sometimes just to wallow around in a little bit of sin and go, well, it's not really that big a deal. It's not really hurting anybody else. It's giving me a little satisfaction. It's creating a little fun in my life. And nobody's going to get hurt through this and nothing's going to be destroyed through this. But the Word of God says, if it can entice you and lure you away, eventually it's going to create death in your life, complete separation from God. And when you get separated from God, guess what? You will do anything. How do, how do I get there? How, do, how, do, how, did that, how did that happen? Because I, I lost sight of my convictions. And when I, I lose sight of my convictions, I, I, might not, I might not feel like doing it, but I do it because I have a conviction. What, what, is, what is doubt? Doubt is simply a lack of conviction. That's where doubt comes from in your life. It's a lack of conviction. Doubts keep, keep you looking at the situation. Your doubts keep you living in what you are seeing. Your doubts keep you focused on your fears. But faith locks in on your fixed and firm beliefs. And so when you're living in faith, you are walking on your fixed and firm belief that says, you know what? I believe that God is my provider. I believe that he is my healer. I believe that he is my savior. I believe in his grace. I believe in his forgiveness. I believe in his mercy. Mercy. I, be, I, be, I believe in, in obedience. I believe in these things. These are my convictions, and faith will allow me to walk over here. But whenever I separate myself from that and I get over here, then I begin to doubt everything in my life, and I wonder why faith can't flow because I don't have any conviction, and, and convictions will all, always is what unleashes the faith in your life. So you wonder why nothing's happening because I've got so much doubt in my life because it's just a lack of conviction. I haven't been convinced that God is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he can do, and he desires what he says he desires. I'm not convinced, and so doubt creeps into my life when I'm not fully convinced. Am I fully convinced that what God says about the tithe? Am I fully convinced? Am I fully convinced that God says that 10%, first 10% of your income, it belongs to me? That you don't, you don't, you don't get a chance to give your tithe, you, you, you get to return your tithe. Because God says it doesn't even belong to you. 
That first 10%, you feel like you've given. God said, you haven't given anything yet because it was mine in the first place. I'm just, you're just giving me back what already belongs to me. Am I, am I convinced of that? Am, and am I convinced of when I walk in that level of obedience that God would do what he says he would do? And he said he will rebuke the devourer off of your home. <sighs> do, you, do you understand that there are some things in life, and, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying, you know, you, you, you give money, you get money, whatever. There are some things that God will give you that money can never buy. Whenever I'm fully convinced of God's word, I'm fully convinced that, that that tithe belongs to him, and I put that in God's hand, that God will rebuke the devourer off of my home. Sick, he'll, he'll, he'll rebuke sickness off of my kids. He, he'll rebuke the, uh, the demon off of my air conditioner. Amen. You know, I mean, he will make things last longer. I'm just telling you. God can do it. Because that's what he says he would do. He would rebuke the devourer. But, but you got to be convinced. Amen. Convictions, convictions. I've got to have convictions. Here's the third thing. The third thing is customs. Customs. I've got to have, I've got to have customs. If I'm going to live a life that lives on, I've got to live on customs. A custom is just a, an habitual practice. This is your, this is your habit. And your customs have to change. Uh, but the change will only stick when they follow your convictions. I want to say that again. Your customs have to change. Your habits in your life, they have to change. But the change will only stick whenever those habits, those customs follow your convictions. What is this? This is the why before the what. Okay? What needs to change? There's some things in your life. What needs to change? What needs to change is what you were what you were what, what you were looking at on the computer after everybody in your house goes to bed. That's the what that needs to change. The what that needs to change is how you blow up at all of your employees whenever one thing goes wrong, and, and that that that's the what that needs to change. But here's here's what happens: is your what will always follow your why. If you don't have the convictions in your life, then you don't need to worry about changing the customs. Because here here's what happens. This is the perfect time to talk about this. Because it's New Year's. And everybody knows what needs to change. I need to wake up earlier, right? I need to read my Bible, okay? I need to get into the gym. I need to get in, I, I need to go. I, I, I told one service. I, I, I just, I can't remember what service it was this last week. I don't think I didn't tell, I don't think I told every service. But I, I had to, uh, man, I, I stopped in the other day. It was like right before New Year's. And I stopped at, at Sunshine Health Foods. Um, and I ran in there just to pick up one little thing that I always get from there. And I ran in there, and man, the line was like 10 people long. And I said, I- I've been in this store like 37 times. I've never seen 10 people in here in 37 trips to the health food store. And I'm standing in line all the way down the aisle, 10 people. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world is everybody doing in here? And I said, oh, it's the new year. Everybody's at the health food store. Give them three more weeks, they're going to be standing across the road at Chick-fil-A in line. Just another three weeks, but it's going to, it's going to happen. But everybody, everybody is, is, is all about the change. Everybody's all about getting into, uh, getting into, the, into the new year. And, and what happens is, is, is they, get, they know what needs to change. I need to start eating healthier. Okay? But if you don't put the why that creates the convictions around it, your what will go out the door so fast. You say, I need to eat healthier just so I could be healthier. That ain't going to work. But if you say, you know what, I'm going to eat healthier because I want to live 10 years longer. I want to I I experience, I, I want to see my kids. I, I, I want to quit smoking. I, I want to I quit doing something that's harming my body in some way. I want to quit doing that. 
Okay, great. That's awesome. What's your why? Because if it's just a what, you'll go right back to it. First day of stress, you'll be like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's coming. It's coming. It's going to happen. But not if you got a great why. Not if you have a great why. Not, 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 if you, not if you put pictures of your kids or pictures of your grandkids right there in front of you and you say, this is why I'm doing it. This is why I'm changing this habit. This is why I'm changing this custom because I've got a great why. It's the same way in your spiritual life. If it's just a what, it's not going to stick. But if you've got a what, a custom, and it follows your why, your conviction, then whenever it comes down to your what, you'll say, no, my why is so much more powerful because I've got a conviction now that's been established on Christ and I refuse to go back on my conviction and so my custom has to change in order to get in line with my conviction. In Luke chapter 8, it says this is the meaning of the parable. Jesus had just told the, the, this parable, and he gives them the, this meaning. He talked about the, the seed. If you're familiar with the story, Jesus is talking about a, a farmer who, who, who throws out seed, and the seed falls in a few different places, and Jesus is describing it now. He said the seed is God's word. He's telling them about the story that he just told them. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message, only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message. They receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on the good soul represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. You see, to grow into maturity, you don't just need the right beliefs. You've got to have the right customs. You cannot have the right beliefs. You cannot just have the right beliefs. You must have the right habits if you want to grow into maturity because in the story, there are two people that believe, but they never grew into maturity. They received the seed. They received the word. They believed it, but yet they never grew into fruitfulness and they never grew into maturity. Why? Because they didn't have the habits that were necessary in order to be fruitful. And your habits will always shape your harvest. It's your habits that are going to shape your harvest. Yes, it starts with Christ. Absolutely. That is that is it. It starts with the word. The seed goes down. Then it is your conviction. Yes, do you believe? Once, once you believe in Christ, once you have the conviction of his word, now the thing that keeps you from being fruitful is if you don't build the right habits and customs in your life. But whenever you get those customs lined up with your convictions and planted on the ground of Christ, let me tell you, you will grow into maturity and your life will be fruitful and things will begin to happen in your life that can't happen any other way. This is what it means to live a life that lives on. I've got to live a life on great habits. And here's the fourth thing as, as, we, as we close. Philip, you can come to the piano. Uh, the, the fourth thing is commitment. Commitment. We must live on commitment. Even, even the scripture there in the last verse, in, in verse 15, it says, and you patiently produce a huge harvest. Patiently produce a huge harvest. Uh, that does not happen without commitment. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give 
You see, without commitment, you will get too frustrated when your convictions and your customs aren't matching up with God's desires. And I can tell you tonight that, uh, that old habits aren't easy to change. And if you aren't committed to changing them, they won't change. New habits aren't easy to perfect. If you're not committed to perfecting them, then they won't be perfected. Commitment is what keeps your convictions maturing and your customs improving. I want you to hear that. Commitment. Commitment is what keeps your convictions maturing. Your convictions ought ought to always be maturing. If you have the same standard today for your life that you had five years ago, you you need to reevaluate some things. Because the level that Jesus is calling you to year by year, the intimacy that he's calling you to year by year, the level of sacrifice that he's calling you to year by year that ought to be maturing. Your convictions ought to be maturing in your life. And if my convictions are the same as they were last decade, I need to reevaluate some things because my convictions should be maturing. The more and more I get into his word, the more and more things that that I ought to see in myself that do not please him. The more and more time that I spend in worship, the more and more aware I become of things that I'm thinking and saying and doing that are not helping me become more fruitful and I start weeding them out of my life. That is spiritual maturity, but that comes from whenever my convictions begin to mature. And that takes commitment. Commitment to the presence of God. Commitment to prayer. Commitment to His Word. And, and, and commitment is what allows my customs or my habits to keep improving. I don't know about you, but I sure hope, I sure hope five years from now, I'm a lot further down the road. I hope my habits are a lot more secure. Man, I hope there are things in my life that I'm doing five years from now that I'm not doing right now because those things are going to make me more like Jesus. Why? Because I'm committed. I'm committed to getting better. I'm committed to my life looking more like him. I'm committed to being a fully devoted, completely surrendered servant of God. And when I'm completely committed to that, then my convictions will be maturing and my customs will always be improving. You see, we strategically start with this house habit as number one, that we live on. Because if you don't have this house habit, none of the other ones matter. None of the other ones matter. If you don't live on, It doesn't matter if if you want to love big if you don't live on. It doesn't matter you protect unity if you don't live on. It doesn't matter if you honor consistently. If you're not one that says, I'm going to live on, it it, it doesn't matter if you want to lean in. If you don't live on, it doesn't matter. You got got to be willing to say, I'm a person that I'm going to live on. No, No matter what I experience in life, I'm going to live on. No matter what disappointment, no matter what discouragement, no matter what depression, no matter what dysfunction, no matter what comes my way, I'm going to live on. I'm going to live on through the toughest times of my life. I'm going to live on through bad news. I'm going to live on through breakups. I'm going to live on through heartbreaks. I'm going to live on through being laid off on my job. I'm going to, I'm going to live on through loss. I'm going to live on through I'm going to live on through all of these things. I have already determined that. If you if that is going to be who you are, then you've got to make sure you're living on the right things because 
because you can't just say in your mind, oh, I want to live on, but you're not firmly planted in Christ and you don't have convictions and you don't have the right customs and you don't have the right commitment because all the life will do, just a little breeze will come through and you'll get knocked over and you'll be laying there going, man, I thought I was going to live on, but I'm not living on the right things. You see, you've got to make the choice today to live a life that is living on the right things so that whenever the storm comes, whenever the trouble comes, whenever the adversity comes, it doesn't matter what comes because I'm living on the right stuff. And when I'm living on that, I can live on through the worst that hell can give me because I'm living on the principles in the kingdom of God. That's what allows you to live out the other habits that you need to live in your life. Are we living on Christ? Are we living on convictions? Have we been convinced? Or are we living on customs, the right habits that come out of our convictions? Do we understand that Christ, convictions, and our customs all demand commitment? They all demand commitment. And whenever we're willing to go there, then we can live a life that always lives on. We you bow your heads with me tonight? Father, we, we, we love you. We're so thankful for your goodness and your grace in our lives. God, tonight we, we want to be people that live on. We want that to be something that defines us. That we are not stopped. We do not quit. That we do not give up. That we are going to keep on running and keep on fighting and keep on trying and keep on keeping on until we reach the end of our race. God, that is who we want to be. That is what we want our legacy to be. That is what we want our life to be defined by. That we were people that just kept living on. People who just kept believing that the best is yet to come. People that just kept believing in expectation that you were going to come through. That you were going to help. That you were going to rescue. That you were going to heal. That you were going to make a way. That you were going to show up, that you were going to pull us out. God, that we just kept on believing. It's who we want to be. God, if we're going to be those people tonight, we got to make sure that we're living on the right things. Tonight, are you, are you living on Christ? not asking you, do you believe in Jesus? I'm not asking you tonight if you believe that he's the son of God. I'm not asking you tonight, are you born again? I'm asking you tonight, is your entire life positioned on Christ the cornerstone? Are your relationships formed off of Christ? Is your attitude flowing off the position of Christ. Are you living as Christ, as the cornerstone? Is he just a stone? Is he just a piece of your life? Or is he the cornerstone?
setting the stage, setting the shape of your life, setting the position of your life, setting the responses of your life, setting the outflow of your life. Tonight, is your life firmly established on convictions? Have you been convinced? Have you been convinced? Do you have convictions? Are you living on those convictions? Are you living on customs tonight? Are you living on habits tonight? Habits that flow out of those convictions. Have you established the habit of prayer? Have you established the habit of reading God's Word on a daily basis? Your daily bread. Have you established that habit? Have you established the habit of your personal praise and worship time? Have you built the right habits in your life? And are you living a life of commitment that says, I'm I'm committed. I'm committed. I'm committed to my convictions maturing. I'm I'm committed to my customs improving. I'm committed to being more and more like Christ, the cornerstone, influencing and shaping my life. If you say, Philip, tonight, tonight I, I, I want to be prepared for the adversity. I want to be prepared for the trial. I, I, I really want to live on. No matter what life brings my way, I want to live on. 